Hi, this is Joe Jakevich, and welcome to the Story Lanes podcast, the podcast where I tell the story of how I'm making an independent feature film while I'm making it. Yes, that's right, I'm hard at work producing Domicidal, an independent horror film. It's the story of a cantankerous feminist tech podcaster who is making a podcast about living in a smart tech home. But there's a problem. The house is haunted. Or so it seems, because all that smart home technology is controlled by a hacker. It's as if your worst enemy in the world controlled your Alexa. This week we're going to talk about how to apply your non-filmmaking skills to the process of making a movie. Or more to the point, how I apply my non-filmmaking skills. Because we all have different skills, and I certainly have some, and they can all come in handy in this strange process of movie making. If you've listened to many of these podcast episodes, you probably noticed that I believe that there's many ways to skin the filmmaking cat. That's certainly true when it comes to story structure, but it's also true when it comes time to make the film. This is probably a good thing. After all, we're all different people and we all have different talents. So it's a good thing that there are different ways to use those talents to make films. I have a friend who is superb at getting people excited about his projects. He's not the least bit shy about asking people for help or money. It's not really a surprise that he's been a mayor of a small town. He's great at pressing the flesh and pulling people together in pursuit of a common goal. When it comes to making a movie, he's great at recruiting people, talking them into working for him, raising money from potential investors, doing all those things. Making a movie for him is very much a matter of finding the right people and getting them to work on his project. Filmmaking is community activism. Now admittedly, that's something that anyone who makes a movie must do. Well, anyone who isn't going to go off into a room and make a movie all alone, and that does happen, though it's incredibly rare. But recruiting isn't just something this guy does to make movies. It's central to making movies for him. It's how he thinks about this challenge. Me, I'm different. I have a long career as a software engineer behind me. So when I make a film, my engineer's mind engages. Now note, I'm not talking about writing programs to help make the movie, though we'll get to that. I'm talking about how I think of the problem. I think of it as an engineering problem. How do I get all the right pieces and put them together to make a movie? That certainly includes the script. And if you've listened to any of these episodes, you've probably noticed that. When it came time to come up with a script for what I wanted to make, I determined the requirements of my movie, explored options for satisfying them, and then figured out a story that would meet those requirements. And when I sat down to design the story, I thought in terms of what kind of structure would work best. What kind of reaction did I want from the audience? What story elements would help cause that reaction? And, of course, what story could I come up with that I could make on a small budget? But it goes beyond that. As I was writing the script, I thought carefully about how I would shoot it. And let me give you an example. For most of Domicidal, Jax, the protagonist, is alone in the smart house. Well, she's alone in the smart house, but she's not alone in the movie. She interacts with other people, but it's done over video teleconferencing. Zoom-style chat boxes might appear on any video screen in the house. And since it's a high-tech smart house, there's lots of video screens. So where's the advantage of that? Well, first off, when shooting, Jax won't actually be interacting with the other characters on Zoom. No, the Jax actor will be acting against a blank video screen, one that will probably have a green screen displayed on it during shooting. The other actors will be filmed separately, 
and then we'll put it all together in post to make it look like Jax is interacting with them. What's the benefit of that? Well, here's something you may not know if you've never been on a movie set. What takes the most time is not shooting the scene. What takes time is setting up the shot. You have to set a camera angle. You have to arrange props and set pieces in the background to look good. You have to get the lighting just right. All that takes time, a lot more time than just running the scene. So if you're shooting a scene and you have, say, five camera angles that you're shooting from, it will greatly increase the amount of time it takes to shoot that scene. Maybe as much as fivefold, though in practice it's not quite so straightforward. But you know what doesn't require a lot of different camera angles? A zoom conversation. That's only going to require a single setup, because we don't expect to see a person from completely different angles if they're on the screen. Now there are a few times when we go to the other side of the zoom conversation, see things from the perspective of the other character, shoot in their space. But that's rare. So for the most part, the other side of those conversations can be shot with only a few setups. Not only that, but given that those characters will often be shot in the same location across multiple scenes, there will be limited changes to the setups. For example, one of the characters that Jax talks to a lot is tech support Zoe. She's the tech support person helping out Jax, and she will almost always be in her cubicle, which means all of her scenes will largely use the same camera angle and the same basic lighting. Maybe we'll have Zoe change costume, maybe we'll change things a little in the background or tweak the lighting, but overall it won't change much. The end result is that we can probably shoot all of Zoe's scenes in an extremely short amount of time. I don't expect it will take more than a day to shoot out all of Zoe's scenes. And that is going to be a huge time savings. And it opens the possibility of hiring a more expensive, and therefore a more famous, actor as Zoe, because actors are paid by the day. This is actually a fairly common practice in low-budget independent films, bringing in a name actor to get a little bit of attention to the film, but doing it in a way that doesn't require a lot of shooting days. The most famous example I can think of is the movie Goodwill Hunting. When that movie was made, by far the most famous actor in it was Robin Williams, who played the psychiatrist. The script was written so that he was in several short scenes spread throughout the movie. So it seemed like he was in the whole movie, but it didn't take many shooting days of his expensive time to shoot him out. And he had a big impact. Williams even won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for that film. Now this approach does have some complications. It means that Jax will not be acting directly against Zoe. That will complicate shooting those scenes, and it means I'm going to need someone on set to read Zoe's part when we're filming Jax. And that can't just be an on-actor. We want someone to give a good performance to give Jack something to act against. It also means that we'll have to limit improvisation and have to carefully track continuity because both sides of the conversation are going to have to edit together at some point. That means having a good script supervisor. Now, if I end up going with a cheaper actor for Zoe, I'll probably have her on set during Jack's scenes. Otherwise, I'll hire a good but unknown actor to stand in for Zoe in those scenes. She'll be cut out of the final, which isn't ideal, but we will make the movie and it will be cheaper. What about Jax's side of the conversations? That's where things get more complicated, where we'll need separate camera angles and such. But it should be a lot easier to film when we're dealing with only one actor on set, both to plan her actions and for lighting and costume. So I'm hoping that will lead to quicker filming as well, and a need for a smaller crew. All of which means dollar savings. 
But notice how much this shows my engineer's mindset. I think about what pieces need to be shot and how to put them together, and how to make it all as efficient as possible. I'm turning my engineer's brain to the problem of making this movie. Now let me make a short digression. You might think that building software and making a movie are two entirely different endeavors, but I have found them to be surprisingly similar. Whether you're making a movie or building software, you need an interdisciplinary team of experts working in their own spheres to come together to create something. For a movie, that means a screenwriter and a cinematographer and a sound recordist and editors and art directors and actors and a whole lot of other people, all working under a director and producer. But for software, it's a product manager and engineers and testers and operations guys and UI designers and documentation writers all working under project and product managers and team leads. So both movies and software are team efforts, and both are out to create something cool. And even the business aspects are a lot like working in tech. I've done a lot of startups, and in both cases you're starting up a company. And there's similar things you have to do. Raise money, hire people, talk to lawyers. And even the financing models are similar, paying people with a combination of money and a share in the proceeds. And finally, I have found that editing a movie is surprisingly like debugging code. You have a problem that you need to solve somehow, and you've got certain building blocks to put together to solve it. So editing feels very comfortable to me, very much like something I'm used to doing. So take it all together, and making a movie is very much like building software. But sometimes movie making can include building software, at least the way I do it. If you listen to any of the first season episodes, episodes where I analyze existing screenplays, you heard about the Storylanes program that I built to help analyze and outline screenplays. That's where I got the name of this podcast. So that is one example of me programming software tools to help me work on making movies but there's a lot of other tools you need to produce a film. In the early stages, you need to break down a screenplay, figure out what cast, crew, and other resources are needed for each scene. And you need to create a shooting schedule, figure out which scenes will be shot on which days, and how many days it's going to take to make your movie. That's a key step on the road to making a budget. And making a budget is, of course, done on a computer. Now there's software programs available for all of this, ranging from expensive tools customized for filmmaking needs to spreadsheet programs like Excel that can be the basic building blocks for all kinds of work. When it came time for me to do a breakdown of the domicidal script, I bought one of the most standard tools for this task, something called Movie Magic Scheduling, and I started doing my breakdown. But I hated Movie Magic. Its user interface felt awkward, something you might expect from a program built 20 years ago. And I kept running into limitations with it, ways that it modeled a script that just didn't match my way of thinking. And once I got something put in place, I invariably found some tool I wanted to do something, a tool that just wasn't part of movie magic. For an example of how movie magic didn't match my way of thinking about breakdowns, look at the question of what is a scene. In a screenplay, a scene is a continuous block of action that takes place at a given time in a given location. But when it comes time to shoot that scene, it's not so simple. Maybe you want to shoot several script scenes together because they happen at the same time in the same location, but in the script they're broken up with other scenes in between. 
that could be a scene that we return to throughout the film. Or it could be a scene where there's a continuous conversation, but we occasionally cut away to see action going on at different locations. In either case, we want to film all the contiguous action at the same time, even if it's several different scenes in the script. There's one other type of complication that's all throughout the domicidal script. Think of the situation I described earlier, where Zoe and Jax are in two different locations being shot separately, with the plan being to put footage together in the editing. In the script, that's one scene. But when it comes time to shoot, you're shooting it twice, once on Jax's side of the conversation, once on Zoe's. So in this case, one script scene turns into two scenes that need to be shot. In both these cases, a shooting scene isn't the same as a script scene. But in movie magic, you only have scenes. There's no distinction between the script scene and the shooting scene. You have to do awkward things with the tool to make it work. Things that we in the software development world call kludges, awkward compromises, the software equivalent of fastening it together with duct tape. I don't like that, and this is one of the things I did not like about movie magic. So I built my own. I designed and built a program that lets me break down the script and create a shooting schedule. I call it Lumiere. Named after the Lumiere brothers, the French brothers who invented the movie camera and made the first movies. And in Lumiere, there is a distinction between a script scene and a shooting scene. And a shooting scene can map to many script scenes, and a script scene may require multiple shooting scenes. Unlike movie magic, my tool is web-based. I haven't actually put it up on the web. When I use it, I run it on a local web server and use a browser to access it. But I could put it up on the web if I wanted. If I want to make the tool available to other members of my crew, and I just might, I'll put it up on the web somewhere and give them access. You can't do that with Movie Magic. It's a desktop-only app. The best you can do with it is have everyone buy a copy of Movie Magic and share the files around. But that means only one person can make changes at a time, and then you have to share the change version. Yuck! So in my mind, web-based tools are the best. But there's another huge advantage for me in my approach. And that is, I have complete control over Lumiere. So if tomorrow I come up with a new thing that I want it to do, or a new piece of data I want to keep track of, I can just add it. I've already done this a couple of times. The shooting scene concept is something I only came up with after doing a first breakdown and trying to turn it into a schedule. So I added the concept of shooting scenes to Lumiere. And I've done other things as well. It turns out that for scheduling purposes, it made a lot of sense to estimate how long it would take to film a given shooting scene. Then I could figure out which scenes to put together in a shooting day based on how long each one would take. So I added a time estimate to the shooting scene and made it available in the scheduling part of my tool. I now have full control over the breakdown and schedule and how it can be manipulated. It can be whatever I want it to be, because I am not only entering the data into the tool, I'm building the tool as well. Which makes my engineer's heart feel all warm and fuzzy. So that's how I am engineering Lumiere, my tool for breakdowns and scheduling. And it works quite well for me. Take it all together and Domicidal is a movie that is being constructed by a software engineer. And that applies to the story, to the way we're shooting it, and even to the tools being used to organize it. I'm taking my own skills and mindset into the problem of making this movie. And that works really well for me. 
Now, if you're making a movie, give some thought to what special skills you possess. Think about how you can apply them to filmmaking. There's lots of ways to skin the filmmaking cat. I recommend you spend some time figuring out yours. Now, one more thing to talk about today. I'm going to introduce a new segment to this podcast to discuss movies that I'm watching that influence my thinking about domicidal. And today, the movie that I'm going to focus on is The Haunting, a 1963 film directed by Robert Wise with cinematography by Davis Bolton. The Haunting is a very old-school haunted house story. A psychic investigator brings together a group of people with psychic experience to investigate a haunted house. Strange things happen, there's scares, and there's a climax that doesn't end well for someone. Now the house in The Haunting is an old mansion full of antiques and strange artifacts. So not at all modern like the house in Domicidal. So there's clearly some major differences between these films. But I love the look of The Haunting. Oh, not the Baroque style of the house and its furnishings, though I do like those too. No, what I really love is how the camera work makes the house look weird and distorted, how it gives the impression that the house is always watching. Now, I am definitely planning to borrow that look for domicidal. In this case, that means using wide-angle lenses. That's a cinematic technique that makes everything look a little distorted. And I'm also studying the way the shots in The Haunting are set up to make it feel like we're the house watching these people. In the case of Domicidal, it won't be the house watching, but it will be all those cameras everywhere. We'll be like voyeurs watching Jax as she goes about her life and as she is tormented by the house. These things are going to have a big influence on how Domicidal looks. So while the story of Domicidal is significantly different than that of The Haunting, and the house itself is much different, the cinematography is going to owe a lot to that earlier film. Anyway, that's what I've got for you this time. Check us out at storylanes.com where you'll find the script of this episode along with links to all the past episodes. Until next time, this is Joe Jakevich for the Storylanes podcast. Happy movie making and talk at you later. Later.